Welcome back to Girls Camp. This is your host, Haley Rawl, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today. We have an exciting episode. I say we because I am joined by the first guest of the podcast, a very special guest, perhaps the most special guest to me personally, my husband, Bentley Rawl. Hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) My first time ever on a podcast, actually. Really? Never been on one. Well, welcome. Thank you. What a podcast to be your first. This is a great way to do it. (laughs) I'm super excited to have Bentley on. I feel like with telling my own story of leaving the church, I have been married to Bentley for six and a half years Yeah, crazy. It's almost seven. Yeah, a long time. And obviously, a lot of our journeys are intertwined with one another's. And I think a lot of people are naturally just super curious when one person publicly says they've left the church to hear how that went in a relationship sense. So we are going to dig into all of that today. Let's do it. You excited? I can't wait. I have no idea what these questions are, and Haley told me that she was going to keep them secret until... So we'll be reacting in real time, everyone. Yeah, we'll get Bentley's live reactions. I asked you all to write in questions for us, and I said to, quote, make them juicy, and there's some juicy ones. I don't know what that means. Yeah, you'll find out. The juice. I do want to start out with Maybe a less juicy question, but a good question nonetheless. Someone asked, Bentley, this is this is your first question, <laughs> if you're ready. Ready. Someone asked, who approached who first with issues with the church? And I'm going to ask a second question that relates. Did one of you start pulling away from the church first? If so, what did that look like? Were there any moments of tension? Great question. Um, I honestly don't remember who started to pull away first. I feel like it was pretty much at the same time. But I will say, like, we kind of both started to have our own questions and issues with the church separately. Yours were yours and mine I were mine. And and I started to, you know, pushing the boundaries of, of the rules and regulations of Mormonism. And maybe you felt a little uncomfortable with the way that I was doing it. And maybe I felt a little uncomfortable with the way the things you were pushing back on, but I think we were kind of doing it similarly. But you, I think, challenged some things first, uh, even from the beginning of our marriage. I think just like the question of you know women's rights in the church and like women's place and and LGBTQ plus rights and and that was like the I think you started that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how I remember it too. But I do remember. When I approached you with my initial, I don't even know if they were concerns at that point, but when I told you, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this or that, I don't remember that ever being very tense. I feel like you were always really receptive and your reaction was more along the lines of, oh, I, I hadn't thought about it that way before, or I, you know, you appreciated my perspective. Yeah. But at the same time, I was the one forcing us to go to church every Sunday and like, and fulfill our callings and like, you know, maximize our, 
our commitment to to the ward and the people. You know, I was always yeah. doing that. And you were leading the charge on temple stuff. I remember praying before we went to bed at night. I hated you hated that. it. You never wanted to read scriptures, but I always wanted to. And so like, yeah, you, I guess you yeah. would pray for so long. And I remember being so tired <laughs> and so ready to go to sleep. And you'd be like, let's say our family prayer. And I always wanted it to be my night because I would say it so much faster. <laughs> yeah. Yours were like five seconds long and mine. I just, you know, I felt like it was a time to, you know, connect with quote God, you know, and like, yeah. and to pour out your soul and kind of let the spirit guide the the conversation when in real, all reality, now I believe that that spirit was just me. That's just my soul. It's inside me. And it's kind of funny to, to think about me giving a prayer mm. um, and how you reacted to that prayer. And that's just kind of, it's kind of funny to think yeah. about it now. You always did really long prayers. I did. And I... I mean, really, um, kind of poetic prayers. I know your your de- your father in law Damon always wanted me to say the prayers yeah. before dinner because I would always do a good job. I would do a good job if you could do a good job at a prayer. You know, like <laughs> yeah. why does that have to be a thing yeah, to do yeah. good at, right? I mean, I think yeah. Going back to the question. I do feel like you described it really well the first time. I think there was maybe some pushing and pulling around different things. I do feel like I, I don't know if it was laziness, if it was already the discomfort kicking in for me, but I was much more likely to sleep in and not go to church. I didn't want to fast. I would, I knew Bentley would forget about fast Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) I always would. But you loved fasting. So I always knew fast Sunday was coming up and I really, really hated fasting. So I would wake up and I would quickly eat breakfast. You would wake up, come eat breakfast. And I was just like hoping and praying you wouldn't realize it was fast Sunday. And then you would always eat breakfast and then be like, oh, it's fast Sunday. And I knew all along. I know you like intentionally like made me breakfast or something just so I would break my, my, uh. Yeah, I didn't want to fast, but I didn't want to feel guilty about it. But I mean, I mean, we're saying all this. I think these dynamics were very real, but I don't remember so much tension, even around going to church and stuff. It was more, maybe I was like annoyed or frustrated, but it wasn't like the deep core of each other was getting triggered. I don't think so much, if that makes sense. I mean, when we were first married in like maybe our second ward, like which was like six months or a year into our marriage I remember you like walking away from relief society and like being uncomfortable very uncomfortable with like the conversations you had and like Mm -hmm. even like talking and standing up for what you believed in while like within like the making sense of it within like the the realm of Mormonism and like the doctrine there but you you were definitely pushing against the grain because like but did you feel, did that cause you tension or no, discomfort? No, it didn't cause me tension really at all. I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I owe, I always would say this, but I owe a lot of my wokeness um, to marrying you. I feel like I, I was definitely, I fell into the camp that I, especially earlier on, um, that I, I kind of just like stuck with the program and just like kind of leaned into it and like didn't really question things but like the moment like you would challenge an idea or felt uncomfortable I definitely felt like that brought a lot of open my eyes you know I opened my eyes a lot what was the yeah what was the second 
part of this question? Just if there was any tension around us leaving. Uh, one, one memory that comes to mind where I do remember there being tension was actually, I think, after we decided to leave the church and we had a little bit of a, not even an argument, but we had a lot of emotions coming up for both of us around the prospect of blessing our future babies. Yeah. Yeah, and I was so nervous about that. Yeah, you were really nervous because I, at that point, was, I didn't want to bless our babies in the church. And at that point, I was wanting to do some sort of ritual or celebration of our baby's lives, kind of similar to a baby blessing, but without a priesthood blessing. And I was sharing that with some friends and you started feeling upset and sad, I guess you can speak to that more, but that was kind of a loss for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was always looking forward to that moment of doing that ritual. And I, even though I had come to terms with the idea of leaving the church, I guess I didn't really think, think through like what that actually meant. And I didn't really think through, oh, I, I'm not going to bless my child. And I was also kind of, I hadn't told my family. We hadn't really told our families yet, I don't think. And, and I just was really nervous. I think I was just experiencing a lot of emotions because all of a sudden there was a timestamp that um, the moment we have a child, I'm going to have to come out to the world or <laughs> that I'm no longer Mormon mm-hmm. or at least to the ones who are closest to me. Or I was just going to have to fake it like some friends have done, you know, like just do it because they, they weren't ready to have that conversation with their families or, or whatever. And so like, I, I was kind of faced with this, this stressful, um, emotion of essentially telling people where I was. Yeah. I I remember you saying it felt final for you when I was talking about it that way saying, yeah, we're for sure not going to bless our babies. And then when you had an emotional reaction to that, which is super valid, but I remember your emotional reaction felt kind of triggering to me because in my mind, I was thinking, of course, you're not going to bless our babies. We haven't even been to church for two years, right? Totally. And I think that's a good example of the kind of tensions that can arise, even though we were pretty close to on the same page, you're never going to be on the exact same page. And so... At moments when I was feeling more definitive in leaving, maybe you were not, and there was some back and forth around those things as well. That's the only specific instance I really remember. But I think to me, I think there's maybe been more tension figuring out how we proceed after leaving the church than actually deciding to leave the church. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because I mean, we're faced with a lot of a lot of questions at that point. Yeah, here's here's a great question along those lines. How did you create safe boundaries outside the confines of religion? I wanted monogamy and a spouse who wasn't porn crazed. (laughs) (laughs) I am fearful of things going sideways outside of Mormonism, even though I am out and want out. I'm just freaked. Everything's going to go south. How did you two navigate that? Thanks in advance. I'll speak to that, but with a different analogy. 
when we left the church and I tried like weed or alcohol for the first time, I remember feeling that um, if I tried it, I was going to all of a sudden be uh, an alcoholic. Oh, I have an addictive gene or addiction runs in my family, substance abuse, yada, yada, yada. But I tried it and all of a sudden I realized like, oh, that's actually not that big of a deal and I can control myself and like I, I'm develop, now developing a belief around substances or around this thing that isn't really connected at all to a religion or a belief, right? And more just like what feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the same goes with porn or whatever. Like we have to, you kind of have to like deconstruct your, your beliefs of why you feel this way around this certain thing. I feel like, I feel like this is a great question because I think that's a, a very valid fear because when you leave the church, as we did together, all of a sudden, I mean, for the most part, when you leave the church, you also step away from a lot of the rules, from the policies and the doctrines. And when you married someone, when you and I got married, so much of our relationship was already dictated to us, right? We knew how the other person felt, or we at least assumed we knew how the other person felt about pornography, about substances, about a whole host of things because we agreed on the church's stance on all those things. So in a way, you are kind of in the Wild West. And I feel like navigating all of that is not easy by any means, but I feel like it's actually a really good thing. I think it's been a really good thing for us because... I feel like there are a lot of assumptions made when you're in the church that you agree on everything, which isn't true. I feel like a lot of the conversations that we've had to have as we've stepped away from the church, we probably should have had anyway, because there were assumptions being made, not that we were like doing all of these things necessarily, but more to say that it opened up conversations that I think were good for us to have and that have revealed other things about ourselves and about our relationship that we were maybe taking for granted and just saying, just assuming that we already were on the same page and understood each other. Yeah, totally. And to be honest, it has been good for us, but it's also been difficult to 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 figure that out. It, it hasn't been easy. And we're still kind of de- deconstructing a lot of these things about ourselves and figuring things out. And there's still a lot of guilt attached to these things that are ingrained into us. And that, that can be a scary thing because then all of a sudden, like it's, it can draw you apart. But if you can like really like have a discussion about it, um, and face it, like it can actually be a very, you you know, therapeutic and, um, relationship growing, um, conversation. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about porn, when we're talking about substances, we are very indoctrinated or at least conditioned to think that there's two extremes. There is such a spectrum and I want to, and I keep saying this, I want to do a deep dive, but I want to talk more about sex outside of the church and like sex positivity. And I think there's way more to get into there, but I do think there's such a spectrum. We could even talk about what qualifies as pornography. And that's an example, right? In the church, 
pornography was off the table, but did we even understand, were we even on the same page about what qualified as pornography, for example? And now outside of the church, we have to have those conversations and we have to talk about how we both feel about those things. We're navigating those things individually, but we also have to bring them to a partnership, which does make it, I think, way harder, especially when you're in real time navigating it yourself and your partner's actions and their thoughts and feelings about things are, can be very triggering to your own things. So I think it's definitely a difficult thing to navigate, but I think something that's been really helpful for us and that I would say to this person is it's really not one thing or the other. It's not porn crazed or no form of pornography. There's a lot of middle ground there. And as you figure out what feels right for you and your partner, it just requires a lot of communication and... And vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable and be willing to have those conversations because I, I, it's scary. And I, I really, I really encourage everyone to have those conversations, but also to give each other grace. Can you believe we're talking about porn on the internet? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. We'll see how much of this makes the final cut, but there was a lot of questions. That's just one I chose. There's a lot of questions about pornography and masturbation and how to navigate all that when you're no longer abiding by essentially the strength of youth pamphlet. (laughs) And so I think it's a good thing to talk about openly and yeah, takes a lot of communication and there's a lot of fear and a lot of shame and the very best you can do to be non-judgmental is great. And another thing, pornography, I mean, there's so much we could get into ethically. There's a lot that comes with pornography. And I think there's a lot of science even that suggests pornography is not the best in relationships. I don't want to get into all of that, but all of that to say as well, just because you leave the church or you and your partner leave the church, if pornography is off the table for you, great. That just needs to be a discussion and it needs to be something that you agree on and that you both feel good about and then go from there, right? So again, leaving the church doesn't mean all of a sudden you're porn crazed. There's, it's something maybe you need to navigate now, but there's all sorts of places you can land with your partner around how you want to move forward with all of that. There's another question that we have already sort of been discussing, but I like how this person worded it. Thoughts on how to handle different opinions on substances is it okay that I don't feel a hundred P cool with my husband drinking slash weed slash all the things? <laughs> is it okay? Is it 100 P cool? A hundred percent cool that they don't feel completely okay with their husband doing all of those things. I think it's valid. Yeah. I think it's valid. very valid. I think it just goes back to what we were saying where I also don't think it's fair for a partner to, leave the church and all of a sudden say, this is how I'm going to go about everything. I mean, I think they have the right to choose that, but I think if their partner is not on board, then the conversation needs to happen and maybe it's a deal breaker and they have to move on from each other. But I feel like having feelings of fear around your partner's substance use and feeling maybe triggered by it is super valid. I would even go so far as to say it's probably to be expected in a big way, especially at the beginning. So I, I mean, you and I have had to have a lot of conversations. I have substance abuse in my family. I have 
a family member who has struggled with substance abuse and it's brought up a lot of things for me. I feel like I'm very, very moderate with alcohol and weed. I wouldn't say you're, you're also probably moderate, but you do drink more and smoke more than I do. And that has been triggering for me at times. And it's been something that we've had to communicate a lot about that we've kind of had to unearth where that was coming from for me. And it hasn't been easy. No. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I think you can't, um, you have to develop your own opinion, own opinion around, around the substance, for example, like if you're mad that your husband smokes every day, you better smoke every day. What? Then you better smoke every day. No, then you, then you, (laughs) (laughs) sure. No, that's what I'm saying. But I'm just saying you, have you asked yourself, have you even tried marijuana? I mean, or have you thought about like why he might like to, to, to like, does he, is he, does he have anxiety or depression that he's using it to cope with, you know, like, or maybe he just like likes that lifestyle and does it change him as a person? Does he like make a, I don't know, is all of a sudden, is he a different person than you, than you married? then that's a different question, right? But like if he's the same person but now is uninhibited and like and has the freedom to actually explore things that he wants to do with his life, you should also find that for yourself. Don't be jaded by his choices to find who you are. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think ultimately it's a case-by-case basis. And this is why I think a lot of marriages, when they go through a faith transition, you have to reevaluate. Maybe our values don't align anymore. Maybe you want to party and I don't want to. I'm speaking theoretically. And maybe that's a deal breaker. Or maybe there's a compromise to be had. There's so many ways that people can go about it. I just want to validate that it is a thing and I wouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed that it's a thing because it makes sense that it's going to be a topic that you're going to have to talk about and figure out. And I feel lucky. I feel like you and I, not that it's not come without some hard work and tension, and I'm sure there still will be, but we've been able to land on a similar page. And and I think a lot of it comes back to um, trust, right? Um, mm. I think the more you communicate about these things, um, the more you can trust that other person, right? And trust that they're making intentional decisions or, or they're like thinking, right? Yeah. About what, about their decisions. And I think it's important to recognize that yes, you're married. You're in a, you're in a marriage, right? But you are your own person. I think it's important to find who you are. I think oftentimes in the church you are stripped of individuality um from a cultural standpoint. Um you, you Yeah, give, there's a lot of conforming. Yeah, tons, tons of conforming. Mm-hmm. And 
it's okay that you're different. It's okay that you're into, you're unique and you should be unique, right? It's all about having open communication in that relationship to, to really um, know, engage where this person, your, where your spouse is at, where you're at. And to, and again, it's a constant conversation. Yep. I agree. I feel like, as you said, trust is a really huge part of it. And I think it makes sense that you're going to have to build a different kind of trust with your partner because you haven't had to practice the same trust, right? Around substances, for example. And that takes time and effort and communication. One thing I want to say, which I think is probably very obvious, but go to therapy, go to therapy alone, go to therapy as a couple. We started therapy a month ago. We've only gone three times. Well, we did earlier on in our marriage, actually when we were in the church at BYU, but um, we we have needed to revisit. We've needed to go and we've just started. And I feel like I know that it can be difficult to afford. I know it can be difficult to make happen, but having a therapist help with this stuff is so huge. It's already been so helpful for us because it takes a lot. And I think having an outside perspective is really beneficial as you're navigating all of this. hundred percent. Yeah. I think personal and marriage therapy. Agreed. Here's a banger of a question. I think banger is the wrong word, but it's a It's a meaty question. Do you feel any kind of regret about how the church shaped your life trajectory? Getting married young, question mark. Regret is, I don't know if it's the right word, Um, but you can't help but wonder what your life was like, would have been like differently. Yeah. And... That's one of the things that you, I think, will have to navigate pretty early on when you decide to leave the church. Because, mm-hmm. yes, every single asp- every single big life decision that you make is almost directly related or coincides with, um, with Mormonism. Yeah. Um, the church or the the school to go to, uh, marriage and you getting married young, going on a mission even before that. Yeah. And that really shapes and it kind of stacks on top of each other. Each one, you know, reinforces the other decision. And like, if you buy into that, then it feels like, oh, you have, you kind of like, there's a process. Yeah. There's a process. Yeah. I think you said it really well when you said you can't help but wonder when you step away from a religion that has really guided a lot of your life decisions, wonder what your life would have looked like if that were not the case. And we've talked about this very openly. If we weren't Mormon, we would have not got married when we did. I mean, we got married within five months of knowing each other. And who knows if we would have ever gotten married. We were very young. Yeah. I mean, this is all, obviously, you can unravel this all the way back to we wouldn't have even met each other, whatever, whatever. But I do think it's really valid to when you leave the church, especially if it's in your mid, late 20s, a lot of Mormons get married in their early 20s. 
And then you leave the church and you look at your the past 10 years of your life and it's kind of jarring sometimes because you think, wow, I probably in another circumstance wouldn't have done maybe any of this. And it's a weird thing because the way that you and I talk about it, I am so happy with my life. I'm so happy to be married to you. I'm so happy to have the girls, our twins. I'm really happy about a lot of our circumstances. I would say most of them. I feel like that's lucky in a big way. I feel like it's lucky that we've grown the way we have. And I feel like it was a little bit luck of the draw that we've grown in similar directions. Mm -hmm. I feel like it has taken work. I also feel like if you don't feel that way and you're listening and you find yourself in a marriage situation or whatever situation you're in and you feel resentful that you've ended up there, that is so valid because it is really hard to separate the church from where you've come to in life. And for me, like I said, I'm so happy with where I'm at. I really truly am. But that doesn't mean that it's not difficult to reconcile that I am where I am. I'm with who I'm with because of a religion that I now no longer believe. Yeah. And I think if you find yourself in that, um, in that headspace, I think for me, I, when I found myself in that headspace and yeah, it still seeps in every once in a while. I don't think it'll completely forever go away. Right. Those thoughts of like, whatever, but acceptance Mm. and there's no way to go back in time. There's only one way to move forward, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just by accepting the past and the present and the present circumstances as they are and ask yourself, are you happy in this scenario? Mm-hmm. And... If you're happy, if you if you're one of the lucky, like, I think you'll be surprised that you actually are happy. <laughs> if maybe, yeah, maybe depending, depending, but maybe, I guess what I'm trying to say is that even though Mormonism influenced a lot of these huge decisions, that doesn't mean that you were completely um, ripped from the quote agency or the choice. Yeah. Right. You made the decision that you made, and that was, deep down, that was you, right? And I think you need to look inside yourself and trust that you, you, made, a, you made those decisions the best way you, you could, whether you were in or out of the, out of the church, you made totally. those decisions, right? And, and that's, that's important to realize that you were still there. Yeah, I think our therapist has helped us see too by asking questions about what initially drew you to each other and why did you decide to marry each other essentially and I'm glad you brought that up because while the timing was very much church related we wanted to move forward in our lives have sex live together and we couldn't do that in our present circumstances unless we got married but I think we chose each other not because of our 
testimonies. I mean, that was a piece of it, right? I think we both were looking for someone in the church, but there was plenty of people who had testimonies of the church or were priesthood holders or were whatever. If you wanted to marry a return missionary, there was plenty of return missionaries. We chose each other because we loved each other and we were attracted to each other, yeah, each other in X, Y, and Z ways. Exactly. Right. So I think that's a really important thing to think about. And yeah, I think what comes up for me too is that's one of the things that I'm actually really grateful for. I think although it comes with its own set of difficulties, getting married when we did has provided us a lot of opportunities we wouldn't have had otherwise. We were able to, I think, build our life in a different way when it was together Mm -hmm. in ways that I'm really grateful for. I am glad we have kids at the age that we have them for a lot of reasons. I think there's a ton of really great things that have come from that decision. And even though in our current position, we may have made a different decision, like you said, it's a little bit irrelevant, but I don't want to say that and invalidate people who are still struggling through maybe regret. I think that's really valid. And to feel like maybe you were robbed of something like an experience dating around in college or having recreational sex with strangers. Those are things that it may sound silly, but that's a part of life for a lot of people that we don't get to have. Totally. And I think it's only fair and real to sometimes think about that and wonder what that might be like and maybe have feelings of wishing that you could have done that and still be really happy where you are and maybe you're not happy where you are so it's really complicated and I think it's super scary to talk about this openly because there's a lot of fear that people are going to judge our marriage because we're talking about this I think it's a really shared experience among post-Mormon young-ish married couples and families. And I think just because you have those thoughts and there's things you need to figure out, it doesn't mean that you can't build a great marriage. And it also might mean that the marriage isn't the right thing for you. And that's so, so, so hard. And I'm so sorry if that's where you find yourself, but hopefully then you can move forward and find what does make you happy. Yeah. Or you can just open up your marriage and, and be swingers, <laughs> right? <laughs> we got, oh my gosh, we got this question. Speaking of swingers, let me find it. Someone asked, did you guys ever consider swinging like a bunch of other ex-Mormon couples? A bunch? Where are they? Yeah, I don't know very many. <laughs> Or else maybe I would take it up. <laughs> no. Sorry. <about> that. <laughs> no, I would never do that. <laughs> um, no. Sorry, we haven't. I mean, I think going along with this conversation we've had, I think swinging, okay, here's my here's my take on ex post-Mormon swinging. Hot take. Of course that's happening. I think there's a lot of judgment around that, not only from Mormons, but also post-Mormons and and a lot of pretending of like, that's so gross and disgusting and crazy or whatever. But I feel like based on what we were just saying to each other, I I can see why a lot of post-Mormons 
they find themselves in a marriage that they maybe feel is connected to a lot of ideas and values that they no longer hold. They maybe love their partner or they still want to stay with their partner because they have kids or whatever. And swinging is kind of this perfect best of both worlds, right? I can stay with my partner. We can still continue this marriage and our family, but I also get to have these experiences that I don't feel like I was allowed to have before. I can have sex with someone else and, you know, whatever it may be. And I feel like that's valid. Do I feel like it's for me personally, for us personally, healthy for our relationship? No. Do I think it's healthy for any relationships? I don't know. I, I think I don't really think so, but I also don't have that much judgment around it because I can understand where those people are coming from. And to me, if you're able to have conversations with your partner, like we've been able to have, I think that's probably the healthier way forward than having (laughs) having to explore all that, Mm -hmm. which I just think gets really, really, really messy. But I feel like people pretend that that's like the craziest shit ever when in reality for post-Mormon couples, I can totally see why that happens. You said it right. (laughs) (laughs) You agree? Yeah. But we reserve the right to change our mind. Of course. Our minds are always evolving. You know? If any uh, post-Mormon swingers want to reach out, the DMs are open. 801. (laughs) 6969. 69. Okay. Let's see. Do you wish you had waited to have children any longer now that you are not LDS? Our kind of timeline was a little bit, um, it kind of worked out for us a little bit in the sense that you experienced infertility Mm -hmm. for like, I guess we decided to try to have kids four years ago to start trying. Right. Yeah. And you, we couldn't get, you couldn't get pregnant. And, and so we did IVF and it took us three years, right. Um, to actually get to that point. And now I mean, thankfully, even though it was met with a lot of um, emotion and hardship and like, it was a very difficult time of life, especially for you. Mm. Um, But I think because of that time that we had, just the two of us, um, we got more time together. And so I do not regret it. I think having kids now is pretty amazing. And I don't know if I would regret it. Yeah, I think what you said is is how I feel. I feel like the infertility period of time kind of buffered when we maybe would have had kids before we were ready. But I also think that's difficult to separate from the fact that I also think fertility really pre- infertility really prepared us for kids. I think we had so many phases along that infertility journey of like, okay, do we want to move forward with IUIs? Do we want to move forward with IVF? Do we want to implant two embryos? We were making really conscious, rational decisions. And that's different than just conceiving a baby without all of that. So I think because we were able to decide and get on the same page, we felt very ready and we had worked really hard for our babies. And I think not to say it has not been difficult, particularly on our marriage. But I feel like 
where timing lined up, we were already deciding to leave the church and we had actually decided to leave the church by the time I was actually doing IVF. So those things feel separate to me. And I love being a parent at this age. I think it's not for everyone. We're young by a lot of standards, but yeah, I think it works for us. And in the life we got to have a lot of time as a married couple without kids and, and thankfully we're, we moved away too. We had some time in a yeah. married, married in a marriage without children and living in California in San Francisco. And so we, we got to live, uh, we got to live life a little bit, you know? Totally. Yeah, I agree. Again, if you do feel like you would have waited to have kids outside of the church, super valid. Oh yeah. Doesn't mean you dislike your kids. But I think that would be really hard. I can imagine that would be really hard. And I just want to say that's valid. I would feel a ton of resentment if like I got married at 21 or, and then had a kid at 22 because it was the thing to do, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe you didn't understand the implications yeah, of it. Yeah, you didn't understand really yeah. what it meant to be a parent. And you're just a kid still at 22. Like that's, yeah, I would be, <laughs> I would be resentful. You yeah, know? I think it would be hard. So if that's you, um, yeah, I hope you feel validated. What aspects of your Mormon experience will you hang on to as you move forward? Which are you most excited to let go of? I really like gender roles, you know, wife's, you know, stay at home wife, you know. <laughs> okay, you're joking about that, but... There is a question about that, so maybe we'll just skip to that one because I want to talk a lot about the gender roles thing. The question says, now that you've left the church, how are you dealing with leaving the rigid gender roles behind? Mm. Dun, dun, dun. How are we dealing with leaving the rigid gender roles behind? We're kind of facing that in our marriage right now. It's so hard. It is hard. It's crazy how gender roles are so ingrained in us. I think as a society at large, even separated from religion, gender roles are ingrained in us. And then you have religion on top of it where there's a document that quite literally says women should be in the home. The proclamation, family proclamation. I should look up the actual quote. But that really is deep in us as individuals. And I think we're discovering at this phase how deep it is in our marriage too. And it doesn't help to live in Utah, even currently, you know, to like be surrounded by many other people who are living the traditional um, gender roles in their marriage. Totally. And to be clear, those gender roles, aka a woman being a homemaker and the primary caretaker and the husband being a breadwinner, essentially forgive my traditional language, but those gender roles can work out great if they're chosen. And there are a lot of couples who that's how it works best for them. And I think they've chosen that path and it's great. I feel like it's really hard to even for us, we've been talking about, it's even hard to tell what we've chosen or what is just happening because of how we've been conditioned. Mm -hmm. And it comes up a lot for me. It's something I'm 
having a really hard time with right now, feeling like they're just inequality. Like you don't feel like, um, you are necessarily choosing the, the balance of life versus home versus parenting versus, you know, like you, it's, you don't necessarily are happy with that, with that balance. And, and I think it is on an individual basis. I think that you need to constantly be working on deconstructing if, if you don't want to fall in that traditional, um, if you don't choose that, right? Yeah. And as the man in the, the, the relationship, I have to be willing to deconstruct my own beliefs or thoughts or preconceived, you know, notions around these things because, like, I need to there's a lot that I need to do to then empower you and, Mm. um, support you. And, and it sounds weird to even say support, right? It's just, it's like, no, like we just need to support each other. And like, Mm -hmm. and yeah. And if, you know, yeah, I wouldn't have even caught that, but even that language shows we, we fall so frequently into the mindset that I'm, the mom and you support me as opposed to I'm the mom, you're the dad, we support each other. And I do work outside of the home. I have a situation that's much more part-time, more flexible than your outside of the home job. But it's something I would say it's probably the main catalyst for us going to therapy right now is trying to figure out what that looks like for us. And a lot of that, which we had a discussion with friends last night about this topic. And a lot of that I'm realizing is me needing to unpack what I actually want out of life. Do I want a full-time career? Do I want to be a full-time caretaker? It's hard for me to even know what I want. And last night I said something along the lines of men growing up are taught to have a dream and women growing up are taught to have their dream be motherhood. And I love motherhood. I worked really hard to be a mom. I love being a mom, but I'm not even sure if I have a dream outside of that, what that dream is. I'm not as practiced as I think you are in choosing a dream, choosing a career path and going for it because my whole life I've been planning on having kids and child rearing. And Yeah, all of this to say it's a really, really complicated subject. And for me, I would say the most anger I've been experiencing lately, like post-Mormon related anger, is feeling really frustrated that women have to wade through so much when it comes to careers, when it comes to navigating guilt as a mother, doing things outside of the home for themselves or for money or whatever it may be. It makes me angry and I see a lot of women around me who I think either consciously or subconsciously are dealing with this and it's just such a bummer (laughs) in a big way. And I'm grateful that you, Bentley, are willing to be along for the ride and help figure this out so that you and I both feel comfortable with where we're at. I don't feel like we're there yet, but I feel like that's what we're working towards and we're both really invested in figuring that out. Totally. Okay, let's just do a question or two more. This is an interesting question. 
Who had a harder time emotionally leaving the church? You or me? What would you say? Emotionally? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe me? Yeah. This is a point I wanted to make. I feel like when men leave the church, sometimes, at least how it's been for us, you have a lot more to lose. Like we were talking about the baby blessing, right? And I think you mourned a baby blessing where for me, deciding not to do a baby blessing. You gained so much. I gained something. It was, I really didn't feel like I had a place in a baby blessing besides like planning food and having to clean my house, which I didn't want to do. Where for you, that was a special moment you looked forward to because it was a moment to, yes, connect with the child. And it was, you had to practice the, the priesthood, right? Where for me, stepping away from the church, I feel like has been a gain in other ways, speaking of these gender roles and stuff. And that's something that's come up for us is realizing, oh, that was more of a loss for you Mm -hmm. because in the church you did have the priesthood, for example. Yeah. There were a lot of like, um, milestones for me to hit and it almost felt like, or like rites of passage. Mm. And like, even just like scouts, you know, everything's built around like me becoming an Eagle Scout, right? Same with the, the levels of the priesthood. And there were like different like ordinances and like basically different, um, what do you call it? Different offices of the priesthood that like became, came, there were new responsibilities that came with that. And, and it was very much um, something to look forward to, but like you were always kind of talked I kind of maxed out in my offices I could grow into as a woman in the church. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could have become general Relief Society president or whatever, <laughs> but it's, it is it is really different for women. Oh, yeah. And with those gender roles we were talking about, there is freedom that comes stepping outside the church where, in a way, you were giving up potential power and authority, which is kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. You wanted that power and authority. I think everyone wants power, right? <laughs> I mean, everyone I mean, wants it. I wouldn't say everyone, but yeah. No, maybe. but like when you're when you're given power, all of a sudden it's like on any level. Yeah. It's empowering to uh, to make decisions, and it it feels good. Yeah, have responsibilities. It yeah. really does. It's like even just being a parent, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think we've noticed that in friends of ours as well who have gone through faith transitions, feeling like the male partner has more to lose by leaving the church. So I think in that way, you are maybe more emotionally attached, where for me, it was almost easier emotionally in that way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask one more question. I think this is a good one to end on. Kind of sum it all up. Lay it on me. Has leaving the church improved or disrupted your relationship? Definitely improved, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. I would say it disrupted our relationship to improve it, if that makes sense. I feel like the disruption of leaving the church is what ultimately ended up improving our relationship. Totally. In the long run. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, working a muscle right you know you have to break it down to then like to then rebuild it Mm. and 
I think that in order to make progress in your marriage, you kind of have to like deconstruct and then reconstruct. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because heaven forbid, I have an episode where I don't quote Jacqueline. I need to like properly shout out Jackie. Her name is Jacqueline Hayward, Jacqueline Covey Hayward. I literally have referenced her every episode, but she told me, I believe that you are going to have multiple marriages in your life and you get to decide if it's to the same person or not. And maybe she told me that and it's an Esther Perel quote. Anyway, Esther Perel is an amazing resource when you're thinking about all of this, by the way. But I think that is so true. And I think the faith transition has been, we've had a second marriage, right? We've had to decide, okay, we're new people now. Do we want to now stay in a marriage with this new person and this new dynamic? And since we've chosen that, it's strengthened our relationship. And I'm sure that will happen later on in our lives as things change and as we grow. Um, But I think that that is really applicable when you think about leaving a high demand religion, especially. Yeah. Deconstruct, then reconstruct, and it'll be, leave you stronger for sure. There's my sound bite from this episode. (laughs) There you go. Let me say it again. So it's it's better. (laughs) Yeah. Deconstruct so you can reconstruct. That's what you need. I might keep that whole thing. (laughs) Um, Okay, there's actually lots more really good questions, so let's do this again sometime. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun. I think, again, talking about marriage and then talking about religion and marriage, it's kind of a crazy thing. A lot of people don't do it, and I don't mean to say, you know, who knows if we'll regret this once everything's live, but I hope that it can be something that's a little bit more common to talk about because I think we have a lot of people we know from different spheres, from different places who got married in the church and have left very similar timeline to ours. And as we've talked about it with them, a lot of these things that we are dealing with seem pretty typical. And so if you're dealing with them, you are not alone here at girls camp and boys camp <laughs> and scout camp and scout camp what's the scout um scout motto yes what's the scout motto let's end on that um be prepared as <laughs> isn't it like leave it better than you found it or isn't there like a little slogan or something um a scout is trustworthy loyal helpful brave obedient thrifty something um and reverent Ooh. the reverent one was added on at church really (laughs) are you an eagle scout i am an eagle scout wow and you were an ap oh yeah lucky me i i um well scout model is be prepared oh there you go yeah easy all right well thanks again for joining my first guest you are a man my first girls camp guest is a man but we will allow it (sighs) just this once thank you Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much for these questions. Genuinely such great questions. I wish we had time to answer more. Hopefully we will in the future. Have a fantastic Wednesday if that's when you're listening. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Cheese.